from the great steppes of Central Asia to the dark forests of Northern Germany. From dusty Syria to the walls of Rome itself, there once existed a vast empire, the Kingdom of the Huns. During the darkest of ages, the fearsome Huns dominated the nightmares of all of Europe, and then, almost like a bad dream, they were gone. The body of Attila the Hun lies with the men who buried him, killed so nobody could ever find his final resting place. Undisturbed for all of history, Attila continues to sleep soundly, and nobody knows where. He was a man born into the world to shake the nations, the scourge of all lands, who in some way terrified all of mankind by the dreadful rumors noised abroad concerning him. He was haughty in his walk, rolling his eyes hither and thither, so that the power of his proud spirit appeared in the movement of his body. He was indeed a lover of war, yet restrained in action, mighty in counsel, gracious to supplicants, and lenient to those who were once received into his protection. Short of stature, with a broad chest and large head, his eyes were small, his beard thin, and sprinkled with grey, and he had a flat nose and swarthy skin, showing evidence of his origin. Attila the Hun. Ah, I really loved this guy. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I really enjoyed What's Attila. What's to love? He was a maniac. <laughs> he was a maniac. He was a barbarian. <laughs> Absolute. They say that when he was a kid, he was already a maniac. Yeah, I didn't read that. <laughs> but But you know that anybody that wasn't Roman at that time was a barbarian. Yeah, sure. And these just so happened to be the scariest barbarians. The barbarians feared these barbarians. Well, the weird thing is we can't even really tell where he might have come from. You know, he might have been from Mongolia. Mm. He might have been from the Ukraine. There's, a, there's an area in the Ural Mountains where a lot of those languages seem to originate from. Or he could be from modern Hungary, which is named after him. Well, they also say Kazakhstan, which is to what you were saying, possibly. Mm. But there is a story that the Visigoths they mentioned was that they had a certain people within the Goths or the Visigoths that were witches. And the king decided to get rid of these witches because it was creating the wrong dynamics and it was scary and they were putting voodoos on everybody. We don't really need witches. Yeah, exactly. So he got rid of the witches, but the witches didn't disappear. They went into swamps around the Hungarian area and they spawned the Huns. And that's where the Huns came from. In the beginning, they were, they couldn't talk. They were almost like aliens. And slowly but surely, they've developed into a human-type race. Oh, my God. And that became the Huns. <laughs> that sounds so horrible. Everybody feared them. And what was so scary is that they were very skillful on horses where a lot of the barbarians weren't. Mm. And so that created even more fear. But it was true. They eat. They slept. They had sex. They negotiated, bought, sold, did everything on their horses. I mean, he would negotiate all his deals, and while he was standing there, the other people would be cowering kind of underneath his horse. But he must have been a fearsome guy. He was apparently short. He was stout, and he used to just charge around and slap things out the way, and it was what we would maybe see in these old movies. He only ate off wooden boards, and whereas if he had to have guests, they would have the porcelain or whatever it is, and he just ripped a leg off a moving donkey with something and ate it. So he was quite scary. Well, he came from this Hunnic tribe, and we've discussed a little bit about what their origins might have been. But his father died when he was quite young, and then his uncle adopted him. And he had – it was either a brother or a half-brother called Bleda, who was really 
meant to inherit the kingdom. But these Huns <laughs> would challenge each other to a duel effectively. And for the first while, while he was in his uncle's custody, he was mostly just paying attention, trying to learn. He would lead some of the incursions into the various villages, and they would pillage, and they would take the women and children captive and make the men slaves. And, you know, they kind of hmm. did what barbarians did, Correct. which was to so just… Everybody did that, actually. They would raise the place. They would just burn it all down, and then that was their territory now. And there was obviously quite a lot of mythology around him. So much of what we know today is, is wrapped up in legend. And we're mm. not sure how much is true and how much isn't. There aren't any existing portraits of him from that time. But what happened, unfortunately, is that everybody who described him after that described him as this grotesque, terrifying, subhuman monster. Well, it comes from the Romans, obviously, because nobody else actually took note of anything properly for historians. Mm. They portrayed him as a monster. But interestingly, Rugula, which was his uncle, was incredible. He actually started already hammering away at the Romans, and he built an empire already before Bleda and Attila took over. So there was definitely a semblance of an empire already started from Rugula before Attila, but Attila just took it to the next level. Yeah, um, Attila did fall in love with a red-headed slave girl who eventually took as his wife. But Bleda, just to spite him, after they'd captured all the slaves from that girl's village, Bleda could see that Attila quite liked the look of her, and he claimed her as his bounty. And this started a bit of a rivalry between the two, which was only settled when eventually Attila killed Bleda and yeah. took over. But that happened post something interesting because he was involved with the Romans. There was communication between the Huns and the Romans. And he went to Rome... On the invitation of, of Attius, who was a, a Roman general, um, and he saw Rome, the good sides of Rome. He spent time in the royal court. He ate at banquets. He was captivated by the idea of a bath, a hot bath. And, you know, the Romans had these enormous baths where they would heat the water in cisterns and furnaces. And then it would be, you know, this luxury of kind of getting into this warm water inside, marble stairs and all that kind of thing. And he wanted one built in the territories that he occupied, and they took a long time to eventually build one of these. <laughs> I can imagine. It was all he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted that more than anything else, and he had people killed if they didn't deliver the bath on time. But that period shows his loyalty because Aetius, he only right at the very end of, of his life did he decide to go to the Western Empire because the empire was split between West and East. Mm -hmm. Constantinople was actually the more rich yeah. And um, the stronger of the two at this period in history. And he stayed away because Aetius had spent time in Rugula's court, in his dad's court. They took him capture, but he learned a lot. They became good friends. So he really didn't want to really mess around with Aetius, which in fact… And the Western Roman Empire. And the Western Roman Empire. But he didn't have a lot of respect for the Eastern Roman Empire. No, he just… Theodosius… He saw it as a till. Yeah, he, exactly. He smashed them. He, I mean, every year he would go and change the agreements. <laughs> and Theodosius was just shitting himself. I mean, so he just Theodosius was the emperor of the Eastern Roman Yes, Empire. he built up Constantinople because yeah. he knew that the tiller kept smashing away. <laughs> and uh, he had nothing left on the Danube. But the problem was also he had wars in, from African side. So he, Theodosius was struggling. There was something interesting about Attila that was recorded by the Romans, and they thought quite highly of him because of this. He would never settle a dispute between two warring tribes or kingdoms that he'd conquered without both being present. And if you tried to kind of win him over to your side while the other person wasn't there, he would take very drastic action. He didn't like the idea of people taking advantage and not being mm. fair. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point to say because he wasn't just a marauding barbarian. No. He could never have built an empire the size that he did. You know, he had to have some intelligence. But what happened was that when Theodosius died, Martian came as the emperor. Yeah. And Martian had a bit more balls than Theodosius did. And so he said, I'm not paying you this money. Attila was most upset and went in again, and it was harder for Attila. He thought, no, this guy's quite strong, so maybe what I should try and do is attack the Gauls. So that was his strategy, and then it just so happened that this is quite an important point in history, was Valentinian III's sister, Honoria. She had to marry a senator or a general, I believe, and she didn't want to. She hated this man, so she sent her ring to Attila. She'd never met him before. And she said, please help me. Now, can you imagine? This, first of all, provides Attila with a a pretext for invasion. And it also gives him legitimacy. Yeah, half the empire. Yeah, the, the, the emperor's sister is saying, please help me, Attila. There must have been Romans who would have thought, well, that sounds legit to me. And it gave him a reason to invade. Correct. And he started warring with the Visigoths at that point. Yes. And there was some duplicity on the Roman Empire's side because... They had turned against the Visigoths with the Huns before. Now they were with the Visigoths against the Huns. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But I think Aetius was just a political player. He knew Attila, and Attila knew Aetius. The problem, though, which came out, and you don't say this with Attila, was he was hesitant. He was overcautious in this battle. And this battle that happened now that we're talking about, the Catalonian Plains, was one of the greatest battles of all time. The rivers were running red with blood. Hmm. And there were so many people killed during that time. Theodoric, who was the Visigoths king, was also very organized. And at the top of the Catalonian hill, they got the upper ground. Hmm. And basically the Huns, when you get to a certain point with the Huns and they realize they're beaten, they scattered. Yeah, they had to go into retreat. In fact, it was probably one of the only battles that Attila lost. Correct. It was the only battle he lost, but he still kept his guys intact. So he managed then the next year to be able to come back. Well, he did sack a lot of cities. He did torch the land. He did, you know, capture all the people and massacre many more. But he was open to negotiation. And it was Pope Leo III who actually eventually met him just outside of Rome and said, listen, we'd really appreciate it if you didn't sack Rome. And he agreed. He did. Which shows, again, the restraint that you're talking about. Once again, with Attila, there's so many different stories. So there's that story that you've mentioned. Then there's a story that actually Pope Leo came, and then on each shoulder was St. Paul and St. Peter. Peter. And they were showing a sword to Attila. He thought, no, no, I'm out of here. That was obviously religiously driven. And then finally, which is probably the case, was that the Po Valley was renowned for carrying sicknesses Mm. and also at that time there was a massive drought so there was no food for the romans let alone for the huns plus they were laden with booty because they had smashed so many cities and burnt them and stolen so much so it was a practical decision they got to rome he said no you know i need a little bit more strength to get through this town Uh, so they turned around and went. so maybe not honor but kind of pragmatic thought (laughs) yeah and it just depends on who wrote the story eh, gareth i mean (laughs) yeah well this is the problem with attila is a lot of it is so cloudy like we're not sure exactly how he died some people say he had a nosebleed and that he (laughs) died because he had this really bad nosebleed after a night of heavy drinking and eating and it was after his wedding by the way and other people have told the story of how his most recent bride the woman he'd married that very day was actually sent by the romans and she poisoned him 
and eventually the, his general found her weeping on the side of the bed, him dead in a pool of blood, and assumed that she had killed him with poison and strangled her to death as well. But the interesting thing about his death also is that we don't know where he's buried. And the people that buried him were killed. Yeah. Or so they took their own lives. I mean, somewhere in Eastern Europe could be the grave of Attila the Hun. Yeah. And we would know it was Attila because he would have been buried with all of his stuff. And, you know, they would have made a fuss of him. But nobody knows to this day where in Europe he might be yeah. buried. And it just went downhill from there for the Huns because they were never the force again. The sons took over. But they didn't last very long. Bickered and fought and yeah. argued. And, and then they tried to come together against the Goths, and then they, they were just completely flattened. What Attila and Rugula had built, incredible, and the history that they'd built over the years, that was just destroyed in one generation. He was the king of an empire, eventually, Attila, that stretched from near southern Denmark all the way to Scythia, which is like modern-day Turkey. You know, and, and further into the steppes of Asia even. So this was an enormous empire for him to maintain, and he maintained it fiercely. He was very, very good at that. There's no doubt he loved power. He loved gold. Oh, yeah. And he absolutely loved war. He loved a good fight. So he was, he, so he was, he just had all the facets to make a true barbarian. <laughs> well, okay. I like him too. Fine. We've come to good. a compromise. <laughs> Finally, we agree on something <laughs> yeah. in an episode. So just before we finish the story of Attila the Hun, why did they call the Germans Huns in the First World War? Well, Kaiser Wilhelm, he believed that the Huns were actually Germanic, from the Germanic region. So he likened his troops about to go to war in the First World War to Attila and the Huns. So he was wrong, though, because they didn't come from Germany. Exactly. And then, of course, the Allies seized that. 100%. They said, whoa, you bunch of barbarians and, and marauding. It suits you perfectly. So from now on, it says, here come the Huns. Let's get the Huns. And then it, only in the Second World War did they change it to a softer term, they believe, which was kraut. Oh, so that's when they started calling them the krauts. The krauts. <laughs> So that's the word Hans. That's where it comes from. <laughs> All right. Very good. Thanks for listening to the award-winning Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters.